This FT Strategies podcast is brought to you in association with the Google News Initiative, who work side by side with publishers and journalists to help strengthen their work in the digital age. It's often said that news media and publishing are under threats, whether it's drops in advertising revenue forcing business models to evolve quickly, or shifts in the way consumers consume, organizations are constantly having to pivot and do so at pace in order to survive. In this series, we look at the defining moments faced by leaders in news publishing and unpack the strategies adopted and capabilities built in order to continue delivering and sustaining journalism and news in the digital age. We'll explore how they are not just surviving, but in some cases, thriving. I'm Tara Lajimoke, and this is The Turning Point by FT Strategies. Hello, and welcome to The Turning Point by FT Strategies. I'm Tara, and I'm Managing Director at FT Strategies. I am delighted to welcome an old friend of FT Strategies, a publisher from Lincoln who has participated in our digital revenue launchpad delivered in partnership with the Google News Initiative. Thank you for joining us, Daniel Ioannisku. Thank you very much. A pleasure. Welcome. And Daniel is a founder of Stonebow Media and the managing editor of The Lincolnites. And I'm also delighted to welcome an even older friend, older relationship, not age, Benedict O'Trait, Head of News Partnership, UK, Ireland and Northern Europe at Google. Hello, Tara. Hello, Daniel. Delighted to be here. Thank you both. Huge welcome. First, to set the scene, Daniel, can you give us a bit of background on the Lincolnites? And what encouraged you to apply to our Digital Revenue Launchpad program offered in partnership with Google? So the story of the Lincolnites, Stonebow Media, and more recently, my local, started about 13 years ago, back in 2010, upon graduating from journalism at the University of Lincoln. Uh, as, a, as a young person, I took a massive risk in doing what I absolutely loved and wanted to do, which was news and media, and putting it in practice here in the city of Lincoln where we studied and developed pers- uh, professionally and, and personally. Without taking you through a, a, a very long decade of uh, news and stories, we had a um, meteoric growth in our city. Uh, people absolutely loved our concept, which was very novel uh, in 2010, which was uh, today's news today. Even in, in a digital world back in 2010, uh, you wouldn't get in your local newspaper website the news from that day. It was actually the news from the day before. And we wanted to create a digital native newsroom, which was reporting on the day's events and other events as much in real time as possible and making that endeavor sustainable through digital advertising compared to the print uh, uh, competitors which we had at the time. Our growth went further once the local newspaper we had here decided to switch to a weekly publishing schedule, uh, which meant that a lot of their mind share in terms of their daily coverage was already lost. But we were really coming back from behind with interesting stories, instant reporting, and a super easy to use platform in order for people to consume our news. And at the time, we were also fueled by the growth of social media, Facebook was brand new on the block uh, in in 2010. It was only coming on the radar of publishers, similar to Twitter. So uh, that was a great way for us to develop and reach new audiences and bring them to afterwards to our website. Fast forward to uh, 2022, we were uh, preparing to go through a massive transformation in our business and in our organization. We were preparing to move to a... um, 
model which wasn't fully dependent on digital advertising mm -hmm. as we were before, but we wanted to also introduce the uh, user revenue and membership. And of course, the expertise of the, the FT uh, and their successful journey uh, is what motivated us to apply for the program and basically learn all your learnings from it. Thank you, Daniel. That is a recurring theme across many of the publishers who come on to the GNI and FTS partnership programs. Fascinating journey, and I'd love to explore more in a bit of detail. But first, let me hand over to Benedict to talk a bit about Google's mission in the publishing space. So this is done via the Google News Initiative, uh, which was first established in 2018. And the aim is to work closely with publishers and journalists to enable and accelerate the long-term digital transformation of the news ecosystem. This is based on three pillars. One, supporting them innovating on business models. Two, elevating quality journalism. And three, empowering the newsroom with technology. As part of that first pillar, we partner with industry experts to develop workshops and carefully tailored training, uh, such as the labs uh, we deliver in partnerships with FT Strategies. And in fact, it's been one of my really um, cherished projects, uh, which is the three-year partnerships with uh, the Financial Times and FT Strategies. And so what we're going to do uh, over the course of these three years partnerships is effectively work with more than 500 publishers across 50 countries. And this is to deliver sustainable growth strategies. And then since we've uh, we started the partnerships, uh, it's helped hundreds of organizations transform their business models. So, for example, you know, in 2020, some publishers participated to the uh, EMEA-wide Subscription Academy and uh, eight European publishers, including the Independent and El Pais, acquired more than uh, 100,000 new subscribers in 12 months, a growth of 31%. And that's thanks to, you know, the amazing work that uh, your team does, Tara, with, with those publishers. And so this is that kind of tangible results that the GNI is passionate about cultivating. And also, I can relate to my role at Google, which is I'm a head of partnerships, uh, news partnerships across a very specific region. Uh, so you mentioned my title at the beginning, Tara, but it spans across the UK, Ireland, the Nordics and the Benelux. And one of my responsibilities is to bring those programs to news publishers in the countries where my team is present either through publisher associations, so for example, we've partners with Nine Media in Denmark or the NMA in the UK, or directly to publishers. Excellent. Thank you, Benedict, for that. Again, a lot to unpack, but let me um, go back to Daniel. Daniel, let's look ahead and actually look back perhaps five, six months following the programme. It sounds like it's been quite eventful. Can you cover some of the key highlights. The program that we've been through with, with FT and DNI came really at the right time in, in our transformation. We, we developed our, our own tech stack and platform in order to take us further. And we knew that it was going to be one of the keys to our future success. And uh, we, we started uh, the program with you right at the time when we were developing and putting together our uh, paywall or membership, as, as we call it, offering making sure that we hit all the right notes, we collect the right data, and we target the right type of users uh, who we want to become our members. For us, we knew that as a local news provider, we wouldn't be able to have all our content exclusively behind the paywall. A metered approach was also not something that, um, again, would have worked because it would have been a catch-all for all the type of news and content. So we wanted to have members on board for the specialist content that we were creating. But that also meant for us that we had to rearrange the entire way our newsroom was working in order for them to produce this kind of specialist uh, 
content, premium content, features, interviews, more so than the day-to-day small stuff that would otherwise keep a local newsroom busy. So in order to do that, we had to rearrange our entire editorial process and our entire editorial team. Part of it meant that instead of our journalists spending 60-70% of their day rewriting press releases, which were coming from what we would call our trusted sources, whether it's the police, whether it's firefighters, whether it's the local council or the, or the uh, health trust, all it meant was that our reporters were rewriting stuff written by former reporters who used to be in the media, and it was a vicious circle. And it also meant that we couldn't cover everything, and we had to be very, very selective and always letting down somebody because their story wasn't uh, making it in front of our sizable audience. So based on this, we decided to break up our our newsroom and our editorial operations into two, meaning that one, what we call content moderation team, would be constantly monitoring uh, for all the latest news from our trusted sources, which they would bring directly onto our platform. And they would, of course, exercise moderation, mediation and verification on a lot of the, the content. And then our core editorial team of reporters and editors could then focus on agenda-setting items, unique, relevant stuff that would be um, in the interest of our communities, and going out and speaking to people and being in the communities which we otherwise serve. Part of that meant that their day-to-day running and how they would go about five stories totally change. Their inbox is not the first port of call. They're not looking for emails. They have to come in with ideas. They have to. We have daily editorial meetings, just like you would see in the old films, where people are discussing the day's ideas and then going out about and doing them. They produce a smaller amount of story, but they are of higher quality, more depth, more analysis, and more viewpoints and imagery baked in into what's happening. So this is the major transformative part that our our newsroom and our editorial and commercial team have been have been going through as a result of the FT strategies program that we've been on. Thank you Daniel that is a huge transformation I mean it's not just of processes but really of people in terms of how they behave how they produce ways of working so a real mindset shift as well. Can you talk a bit about the program, Daniel? Um, What sort of things would you say were the most helpful? And I know one of the things that you did was surveying readers. Can you tell us a bit about that and anything else, in particular, what you learned as part of that process? Certainly. So let me start by praising FD and FD strategies. Everybody can run a survey. But uh, running a survey with targeted questions, knowing how to analyze those answers in particular questions, knowing how to uh, group, how to look at your categories of users and reach them was something that uh, we truly appreciated from the knowledge that we've taken on board from FT. So compared to our traditional user surveys in which we were simply asking people, how do you find stuff? And what would you like to see more? And we always had very similar responses. The type of questions that we've put through the FT survey made us understand much better what were the user needs that we were satisfying for our community. And that really helped us to hone in the type of content and stories that we wanted to deliver both free of charge and behind the paywall or the membership wall. One of the other thing that, again, stayed with me was a mindset change in experimenting. Basically, everything that the team was trying to do before, say we came up with an idea of doing a weekly feature, 
it was always with the view that this would be something permanent and we would continue doing it forever and ever and we'll do it every week. While with the um, experiments mindset that uh, ourselves and our team has learned from the FT Strategies Consulting sessions was that we can look at things in a much more structured way over shorter amounts of time. So whether we do an exper experiment for eight weeks or 12 weeks, then we can look at the results, recalibrate and move further. And not only that, but at the same time, understanding that some experiments have a high output, but a low effort, while some experiments require way more investment, but they might not have the same uh, impact on our business or on our reach. So it also helped us to prioritize the, the type of experiments that we would be running in the business. Excellent, Daniel. Thank you. It's fascinating to hear you talk about that and remind ourselves that this is only in a matter of months. Um, so congratulations. Benedict, if I can come over to you, how can Google help publishers in this space, whether it's helping them understand your readers or some of the other themes that Daniel has referenced? So the first thing is we partner with your amazing team and I think we bring to publishers this structured way of thinking about reader engagement and surveying your audience and and also the experimentation that Danielle referenced because I think this is a shift in mindset which is to start with the readers and build on top of that. I think we've also, if I'm not mistaken, part of the, you know, all the, some of the labs that you're running, you've embedded uh, the benchmark tool that is News Consumer Insight, which allows, you know, the publisher to, um, uh, I suppose, explore benchmarks uh, between the casual readers and the loyal readers. So that's also deepening their understanding of the people who come and consume their content. And at a much more macro level, we also sponsor big, um, I suppose, piece of research that is done by the Reuters Institute for the Study of Journalism, which provides, you know, those big trends, because I think it's important for publishers to put everything they're doing in the context of the big uh, shift that are happening with consumer behavior in the digital space. Lots to take advantage of there if you are a publisher who's listening and interested in transforming. Daniel, back to you. Can you unpack some of the tactics that you use to engage your local community around Lincoln? So the Lincolnite and my local, which is now our overarching platform, allows us to connect uh, with the people in Lincoln and Lincolnshire. One of the main challenges that we had both technically and uh, as a concept was that we live in an area of 1.1, 1.2 million people, but it's a very big geographical area. And the next town is like 30 miles away, maybe an hour away, but we're all in the same um, under the same uh, local authority, the same police force, the same name. Uh, but that also means that the communities are not as well connected to each other or have an interest on the the stuff that happens an hour, an hour and a half further down the road, even if we're in the same place. So our main challenge was not only to have a comprehensive coverage of our patch, but also to find a way to distribute this content directly to the people in those particular areas that it would be of interest. So, for example, our readers in Lincoln, which is in the middle of Lincolnshire, uh, would be interested in mainly what's happening in the city and the surrounding areas, while our readers in Boston, say, in the south of the county, they don't have as much interest about what's happening in Lincoln, but they have a wider, say, 20, 30-mile catchment area around them where they travel, where they commute, where they work. So we, through, through our My Local platform, what we designed was a system which allowed us to prioritize the local news for people in those areas based on the areas where they were signed up. And with that change, it meant that there's no more guesswork. We don't have to think what would people there be interested in or how can we better serve them. We know that anything that's relevant to the community in that area, whether it's a small memorial bench put in a park or whether it's a new shop in the town or whether there's a new outlet happening somewhere, will reach that audience uh, 
in that particular area and we it wouldn't kind of like appear at the top of the news page for our other readers in the different areas which wouldn't be there in, in their interest so for us it was a lot of refining our strategy and the type of stories that we will cover and through the change of allowing to distribute personalized content geographically in smaller hyperlocal area as we call them uh, of kind of like 50,000 people or less it meant that we can get closer to our communities and ask each individual community what matters to you how can we serve you better and what sort of stories do you want to get fascinating how easy was it to do that daniel you make it sound easy <laughs> from my experience it often isn't well uh, thankfully as uh, as the podcast indicates we had assistance from the ft strategies team in in honing this and asking the right questions uh, we always knew we had a core audience but as benedict said uh, once her colleagues at google were able to dive deep into our an- analytics we were able to understand the super fans and the loyal fans and the ones who are coming 10 times a day and they basically check us every hour and we know that there's people who check us 10 times a day so we have to have new content at the top of the page at those peak hours when those users are coming and then understand why users from certain areas come maybe once a day or twice a day so they have a quick catch up with us and then understanding what would bring them on board to visit us more often or what are the parts of our offerings we need to improve to better tailor to their needs Well it's one thing knowing and uh, analyzing the data but it's another thing to execute and make it uh, actionable insight which is I think what Tara was alluding to when she said you make it sound <laughs> so easy. Yeah I know you're right I am a huge fan of NCI I think it's a fantastic tool and it's amazing how many publishers are yet to really experience the the power that it gives in terms of as you said Daniel understanding your audience at a richer a bit more granular level but also as benedict said being empowered to actually apply those insights and to act on it consistently across across selection of people not just the data experts in the company is also quite critical and a lot of publishers including ourselves would have not normally have the access to this type of resources and expertise uh while there are two maybe up to 300 depending on the source you're looking at independent local publishers in the UK covering local news like ourselves it is only us and a handful of others which are commercially viable sustainable or have multiple members of staff and are trying to put in a strategy there's a lot of barriers identified both by Google and by the FT and by us and our own research I've done an entire masters on the sustainability of local journalists speaking with other people in the community and learning and understanding that the the technology and the platform on which you serve your content is just as important in reaching your audience and maintaining your audience besides just the content that you're generating and while there's the the old saying in our industry that content is king in 2023 and beyond content is not king it's just a part of your strategy because you also have to reach people and then keep them coming back and also to monetize what you're doing absolutely thank you for that daniel Benedict, you've been working with publishers for how long now? I've got seven years down. I, I think it's seven <laughs> years within the, uh, I suppose, GNI DNI remit, but it's slightly it. longer than that. <laughs> slightly longer. How have you seen publishers successfully engage their audiences? We know engagement is a massive topic, as Daniel has alluded to, but but what have you seen work specifically in the UK? I think it's a very good question because I I think I see uh a lot of experimentation and innovation actually uh, which is great and also a recognition that is not one one thing that is going to sustain their business it's it's you know complementary uh, potential revenue strategies but I could pick uh, a few things newsletter I think is is an interesting way 
to increase reader engagement, and it's one of the tools that you can deploy. But I've seen a greater, I suppose, understanding of the needs of their loyal users or readers, and and then tailoring. Uh, newsletters that would fit those requirements, and and that's I suppose a retention tool uh, onto those those readers. So that's one example that I can think of. And the other thing I suppose that we've seen through some of the examples that came uh, out of the work that you've been doing with publishers is um, the Inverness Courier, for example. And I think in their instance they didn't have the confidence to believe that the value they were providing to their communities was worth paying for. And I think going on to the program gave them that boost of confidence and they were ready to experiment with setting up uh, a registration wall and also uh, enabling newsletters. And again, it's that culture of experimentation that Daniel was mentioning earlier. And it's this... I suppose, mindset that you can fail fast and learn and you don't have to incur a financial risk. So it's, it's like this constant evolution of, you know, you're trying something and then you're seeing what works for your uh, your readers and whether it's, it's uh, sustaining a reader engagement model. So it's just one example that I, I thought of. Thank you for that, Benedict. Daniel... Can I come back on that one? Absolutely, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I think this go is going to be it. a great discussion. Um, I uh, One of the things that we decided against is newsletters. Besides uh, being a 30-year-old technology and uh, at least our reader survey showing that our young audience is not engaging with email, to the contrary, they have... Uh, phone number which allows them to sign up on all sorts of other different platforms and networks for for our younger readership newsletters were never uh, on their radar and to the contrary we had a newsletter with a prominent slot on the top of our website for 13 years and it was only a few thousand people who we gathered over the years to to do that newsletter because the key for our readers in our area was being able to segment the information based on their geographical location and what was relevant to them and we didn't class the newsletters as engagement because we never had the, the type of feedback directly over email with our readers. Um, we, like many other publishers, and I'm happy to call it on the record a mistake, have outsourced their engagement, aka comment section, etc., to social media, on which they didn't have any control over the discussions happening on those pages, and created an entire new community outside of their properties through just having simply a decent commenting system, which a lot of publishers still do not have. And the other technical challenges, which then start linking into this, if you register somebody to allow them to comment, then publishers don't can't use that information to, say, target advertising or other special messages based on it because these systems are not integrated in, in any way. So the, the challenge for us was technical to come up and devise a system which allowed us to sign up readers, get them through the main funnel, uh, give them personalized information, allow them to engage directly onto our platform and not give them a need. If they, you know, you read something on the Lincolnite and then you go on the Lincolnite Facebook to comment, you lost the person. They're not going to come back uh, or similarly tell them that, oh, I might send you an email and then you'll click back. So our aim was to make our platform and our website one of the main activities rather than appearing on another platform, either in your inbox or being drip fed through an algorithm in a different area. So we wanted to create this direct relationship with the, with our readers and members on our platform and being more all-encompassing rather than just the simple fact of leaving a comment having to go on a different platform to do it. Or if we encourage people to do that on our system but not have that system linked to a registration or advertising or content personalization, it would have been a 
waste of resources in our view. But if I may point out, to me, the keys here is that you have a direct feedback loop with your readers, which I think is, uh, if I may say, you know, observing from uh, obviously a very privileged place, is the industry hasn't been very renowned to, you know, seek that feedback from their readers. And digital is amazing because it allows you to do that. Um, and so I've observed that trend uh, across the UK publishers where they now really seeking the feedback from their readers and they're designing their strategy and their product based on the feedback from their readers. So what might not work for the Lincoln Knight might work for another publisher. Exactly. I think you both are shining a light on two very important perspectives, which is that it's really important to understand your audience and ensure that you've got a coherent strategy that aligns all the different dimensions, your proposition, what you stand for, the data capabilities you have, and so on, but also with the needs of your audience. And that obviously comes from a deeper understanding of behaviors, channels, etc. Benedict, to your point, Given the work we've done with hundreds of publishers, you're absolutely right. There are some publishers who newsletters make absolute sense. The FT is one of those. Um, actually, about, I think, 11% of engaged subscribers would not be engaged if it wasn't for newsletters. Um, and we see huge impacts across subscriptions and other factors from newsletters. But also, to Daniel's point, there are some publishers because of the context and, and other factors who may not see as much benefit or haven't seen as much value. So it's really about prioritizing the different tools at your disposal to choose and focus on what makes the most sense. And the way we looked at it was a, a national publisher or a publisher like FT or anybody, say, who does business reporting you, in a way, have an unlimited audience spread out across the globe that you will try to reach and monetize and engage in different ways, while for local news publishers, they have, it's not an infinite audience. The overall potential audience is fixed to your local area. Anything else that's outside your local area, and I know some other national local publishers get most of their traffic from outside of their readership area, and they can't monetize that. So in a way, it's pointless traffic to a certain extent. So we, we wanted to find, to understand exactly what engages the people and how they want to engage in this particular finite area of audience, this 1.2 million people that we have. We were reaching already about 700,000. So we want to make sure that we're there to stay and find the best way to keep them in constant loop with us and come and check what we're doing. Excellent. And that's a really nice segue, Daniel, to metrics. The program places strong emphasis on metrics that matter. I have a feeling you're going to share a few engagement-related metrics with us, but can you explain what that means for the Lincolnite and any particular metrics that you found valuable? When we look at engagement, now in our current new My Local platform, we are able to gauge not only um, what was the traditional page view, which was a single article page, how many ads you cram on it, and then how many people view that. We totally turned that on its head. We only have one or two on the page. They're not in between the text. There's nothing obtrusive in terms of you reading a story. So that meant that by showing the advertising in between content, we had to make people browse more through our content and discover more in, in that way, which also meant that we couldn't just track the plain page views. We had to track impressions and how many times a headline appeared in somebody's view and making sure and understanding that a lot of our readers just scan the headlines in order to keep informed. A lot of people are just super busy and they don't want to read every single thing, but they will scan the headline. And we weren't able to capture this type of information before. We just knew, oh, our homepage was hit by this many people or they scrolled this far, but that wasn't any indication of which part, which headline they saw, which one they stopped over and hovered, or which one they decided to give a reaction. 
And one of the other things that we've been doing in the past four or five months since we launched our new platform and taken all the, all the knowledge and learnings from the FT Strategies program was that, and we knew when we started, when, now that we're cultivating our own audience, our own comments, and our own community directly onto our website app and platform overall, it will take a while or a certain amount of months, weeks, possibly even up to two years to make sure that everybody who was interacting with us through third-party platforms joins us in our new format and sticks with us there because the incentives for privacy and interaction that we're offering on our platform are different from the traditional ones, say, on Facebook, where you might comment on a Lincolnite story about a new bar and then all your former uni colleagues, long lost aunts and somebody from you who used to work with 10 years ago gets a notification that you've done something on a what is a hyper-local news story that you are engaged with. So people have become a lot more wary of how they interact on other platforms because of the social graph and the type of people that are being notified of their activity, where they want to be able to find a, a safe local space where they're not anonymous, They people know who they are, but they also behave in a very different way compared to how they would behave on other social networks meaning that there might be fewer comments, but they are of much higher quality. There's no poison, so to speak. We know people can be much more open about how they feel, and there's no filter in certain areas when they're behind a, a username or a keyboard. So we've been trying to turn it on its head and create a very different civil society around our property and maintain the conversation there, even if the engagement is not as high as on other platforms, but the one of the values that we learned from the FT strategies is that our data and our users and our registered users are 10 times more valuable than 20 times more people that we have no clue who they are, where they're coming from, or what they're doing. And I see Benedict is nodding because this is an audio podcast. <laughs> Thank you, Daniel. <laughs> Without sharing too much... Benedict, what are some exciting areas currently explored by Google um, in terms of product developments that can help publishers? So, you know, Google at, at heart is a technology company. And so the way we think about it is uh, to try to develop the tool and services for the news industry keeping in mind, you know, the trends that are shaping uh, this industry. And there is very much a move towards diversification and reader revenue. So we have developed actually a suite of tools that help with the reader revenue management. Um, and it's on undergoing a rebranding. So you may know of it as Subscribe with Google, uh, which is now called Reader Revenue Manager. And there are two versions of that toolkit. One is for the larger publishers, and it, it's kind of a more API enterprise version of it. And then another one is more for the smaller uh, publisher, which is uh, a turnkey solution uh, for them. And what this tool does is two things. Is One is a frictionless, I suppose, buying flow at the end of the funnel. So at the bottom of the funnel, once you've gone through that engagement uh, funnel, uh, it's kind of a one-click payment. Uh, and then the publisher can collect the credential coming from the, the Google account. And the other part of that uh, suite of products is more the... Uh, I suppose, engagement uh, recognition. So through your Google signing, we are able to surface content behind a paywall once you come onto the Google surfaces. So it's, it's kind of more what we call entitlement or engagement. Uh, and then, as I said, you, you've got a, a version for the larger publishers and then a version for the smaller publishers. Now, should I mention the buzzword that is going through the industry uh, a lot at the moment, which is AI? Yes, please. Yes. You cannot do without that, mentioning exactly. the buzzword. <laughs> um, and in fact, the way I'm going to talk about it is more with the 
opportunity that this technology bring and i'm going to leave aside more of the uh, challenging you know questions um but when i think about ai uh, and in fact many publishers think of it uh, more as the automation and optimization way so it's it's more akin to machine learning and it's really uh, a technology that can help publishers get i suppose enhance the job of journalists not replace it, definitely not replace it, but enhance. and But also, more importantly, um, automate and optimize all of the operational processes and some of the tedious tasks that come with the job of, you know, a publisher. Um, and in f some of those could be very beneficial even for smaller uh, local newsrooms. Um, and so we've already you know, release into uh, the ecosystem some of the product innovation. So you may have heard of uh, Pinpoint. So this is a, I suppose it's like um, uh, a mega search tool to explore collections of um, data that helps the job of reporters. So it's, it's almost like a massive database of publicly released data that could help journalists, you know, produce very uh, in-depth uh, reporting. So that's one way uh, to look at it. But also we've begun working on a suite, uh, not a suite, but a product that would look... Um, you know, I mentioned that enhancing the job of the journalist, but it's very much that. It's how do you embrace the technology and specifically generative AI to become an assistant to the journalist? So it's almost like creating the next generation of AI-assisted publishing tools, but also uh, do it in a very responsible way. Again, I, I can't say it uh, enough, but not replace the job of the journalism. It's really help them uh, do the things that they do best in a faster and more efficient way. Uh, and obviously, this would come with strong editorial oversight and, and you know, a responsible way to do it. But it, it could come into the story ideation, news collection, but also distribution and to some extent monetization as well. Thank you, Benedict. I think emphasis on responsible but also bold has been the themes that we have embraced within FT strategies as well. How do you make the most of this exciting new technology but also recognize some of the risks and do that in a way that respects a lot of the value that resources like journalists today um, offer to creating content etc. Um, we're going to run through this fairly rapidly because um, I want to get as much rich insight as possible in the, the little time that we have left. But Daniel, back to you. Can you quickly tell me how has your focus on data and community influenced your products? How did you convince users to pay for your content, for example? By creating stories and finding stories and reporting on stories that you can't find anywhere else. And uh, that is the, the biggest challenge uh, and the biggest opportunity at the same time. Again, there is a limited amount of stories and people in a local publisher's geographical area, especially in the UK, where the communities are much smaller compared to, say, the, the US. Uh, I would say across Europe, again, the communities would be quite quite small. There's, there's very few cities overall across Europe with more than 1 million people. Even in the UK, we only have two. Correct me if I'm wrong, but at the last time I checked, it was only Birmingham and London who had more than 1 million people. Everything else, the, the metro area is well below 1 million. And just if you add miles and miles outside in the catchment area, you would, you would get to, to a larger city compared to many other places uh, around the world, which are way more populous. And, and based on that, it meant that you have to really embed yourself in a community to discover their stories, the things that they care about, or localized stories, which we call in traditional journalism, where there's a national topic, and then you try and see whether there's how is that panning out in your local area? 
whether it's something to do with dentists, uh, access to healthcare, or new rules regarding driving, or maybe there's a new law which impacts everybody, say about IVF, and you want to see how uh, local people feel about it and and what they do. So, uh, trying to find the the beating heart and the vibe of the community where you are is crucial to being able to serve them. And that meant that we had to be part of the community, which is again where I, it's a fact. And also through our local observation, even the largest national local news publishers with almost 200 titles uh, across the UK have four offices in the entire country. I disagree that journalism from home is journalism, especially when it comes to local journalism. The super talented writers and analysts who look at the whole world and can piece an amazing thing together and get tens of thousands of people subscribed to their newsletter, the journalism superstars, so to speak, and the the thought leaders, they have totally different type of opportunities in the current landscape. They can go on any platform and, and move their audience around. But the local publishers do not have this type of opportunity because, again, their local and hyperlocal audience is fixed. It doesn't move and you have to find the best way to make your mark in that area. So if you're not going out in your communities every day, if you're not uh, and I'm not saying about the traditional pouncing the streets, even though, trust me, our reporters still have a walk on the high street every other day just to see what's new and what's happening because you don't always hear about everything that's happening. But being out there, speaking to people and not just hiding at home behind a laptop and rewriting tweets or what you've seen on Facebook last night, I don't call that local journalism. And I'm afraid a lot of it has gone in this area because of the wider context and the environment in which a lot of the publishers have to operate for local news. Again, I'm talking about local and hyper-local news reporting. Thank you, Daniel. You can see where the Lincolnites' very high standards come from. <laughs> um very briefly, because I feel like we really can't get through this without even briefly talking about TechStack and the role that it's played in your journey so far. Can you give us a two, three minutes take on that, please? Certainly. And I will actually circle back to Benedict because technology is the fuel for everything you're doing, whether it's uh, Google, a tech company trying to help the news industry find solutions rather than handouts, which I fully agree with, or um, the publishers have to develop their own capabilities to a certain extent in order to operate in a way that benefits them as well or primarily. And what the history and the journalism books that I have read, studied and analyzed show me was that traditionally print media always had beef with newcomers, whether it was radio, then it was TV, then it was online. It's just always struggled to adapt and blame another platform for either stealing its stories, stealing its readership, or stealing its revenue. But I believe that it's all in your hands. And there are so many big organizations who have the capability to develop capable tech stacks and to do things. But we are one of the small ones who put our money where our mouth is and just built our dream in order to make our vision happen and serve our communities in the way we envision. Inspiring. Thank you, Daniel. Benedict, final question to you. What advice do you have for publishers looking to deploy a reader revenue model? Okay. I've got four points to convey. And, and please, uh, I hope this is not coming across as patronizing, but this is from speaking to publishers. One, we touch about that, is deeply understand your reader needs and build your value proposition around those needs. So I think, you know, this is what you would refer to as, you know, your North Star as well, uh, FT strategies. Uh, two, 
make it easy for the readers to pay and enjoy your content. You know, it has to be frictionless because otherwise you're just putting barriers and, you know, people are uh, already uh, very, um, you know, there is a deficiency in attention. So you need to make it very easy for them. The third point, which I've seen across in um, so many organizations, is you need to focus everybody in your organization around one goal. And, and by that, I mean, you know, your editorial staff, your product staff, your tech staff. And it might be in some smaller organization, it might be one person who does all of those jobs. But everybody has to be around, you know, what you're trying to achieve, because this is only how you, you know, you can uh, hit your ambition. Uh, and then the fourth one, I suppose it's in relation to the NCI, so the News Consumer Insight module. It's benchmark, test and optimize. So that culture of experimentation uh, and, and getting actionable insights from your data. Thank you, Benedict. I think you've summed up many months of consulting advice <laughs> in a very succinct two minutes. Well done. Final question of the session to you, Daniel. What strategic advice do you have for others? Perhaps something you wish you knew before your turning point at the Lincolnites? That's a big one on the spot, but I think I'm going to circle back to, to my previous answer. In order to be able to control your uh, revenue, your readers, you need data, actionable data, ways to uh, collect it, which again returns to your tech stack, and also being in charge of your channel and distribution. If you produce content and you don't have a grasp of your channel and the way of distributing your content and who it reaches, then you won't be able to measure it. You won't know who the users are and you won't be able to interact with them. Excellent. Thank you. If I could wrap it all up in a few sentences, I'd say taking control of your destiny, understanding your audience, testing, learning, investing in the capabilities to be able to deliver on your strategy, which you have beautifully illustrated. Thank you for joining us, Daniel Ioannescu, founder of Stonebow Media and the managing editor of The Lincolnites, and Benedict Autre, head of news partnership, UK, Ireland, the Nordics, Benelux and Northern Europe at Google. Thank you for joining us on this week's episode of The Turning Point. We will be back next week with another edition of The Turning Point podcast, exploring the critical moments news publishers have faced and the new direction they forged. Don't forget to subscribe to ensure you don't miss out on each new episode. You can find the links on Spotify, iTunes, or of course, via the FT Strategies website. And for more strategies and tactics publishers and wider media are adopting to not just survive but thrive, you can subscribe to the FT Strategies newsletter. Our executive producers today were Han H. Kess and Favor Emma Nwakuchuku. My name is Tara Lajimoke. That was The Turning Point. This FT Strategies podcast was brought to you in association with the Google News Initiative. We work side by side with publishers and journalists to help strengthen their work in the digital age.